chapter 15. If you're visiting with us, this is what we do. We sing and we worship him that way. We open his word. We seek to understand it and to apply it to our lives and we worship him that way and then we sing some more and we worship him that way uh, again and then we hope that we're able to go out and live it, live lives um, that are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. So all of life, we believe, is to be worship unto Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Let me read it, and then we'll get into it. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, um, please open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to talk to you about the facts and the effects of the gospel this morning. Let me illustrate this in a couple different ways. Fact, on February 16th, 2002, Hannah and I stood before friends and family and we vowed to love each other in a way that we would love no one else on this earth. The effect being that I now interact with her in ways that I would not interact with any other woman. She interacts with me in ways that she would not interact with any other man. Fact, on November 7th, 2005, June 27th, 2007, and April 30th, 2010, Hannah and I became the parents of Ephraim, Rowan, and Finn. The effect being that we now feed, teach, clothe, and love and care for them in a way that we don't any other kids. Fact, April 18th, 2019, Hannah and I stood before a judge at the Tusk County Courthouse and she signed and stamped an official document that declares that we are now also Jordan's parents. The effect being that in that moment, he had his name changed. He became a miller. And now we also feed, teach, clothe, love, and care for him as we do our other children. In this passage that we just read this morning, what Paul does is he lays out the facts and the effects of the gospel, the gospel. And what I, my contention this morning is where, where I think 
we need maybe some help in a general sense as I interact with Christians and others as well is that when it comes to the gospel, the effects of the gospel are unbelievably glorious. There, there, there is grace, there is salvation, there is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is healing, there is redemption, there is purpose, there is you are now made a child once you were an enemy of God. You are brought, like the effects are unbelievable. But I think that we're, we're wishy-washy sometimes in our faith because we focus on the effects but we don't understand that the effects are rooted in facts. Facts. Fact. Paul says in verse 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Let me expand upon that a little bit. Fact. The Son of God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to the Father as a man, tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin and never ceasing to be God. He was crucified under Herod and Pontius Pilate, who are recognized historical figures in history. He was nailed to a Roman cross. He had a spear stuck into his side to confirm his death. He was laid in a rich man's tomb that was subsequently guarded by Roman soldiers to assure that it would not be tampered with. But then on the third day, he rose from the dead at the command of God the Father, proving that God the Father accepted his substitutionary sacrifice for sin and thus declaring himself to be the Son of God in power and purchasing for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation who will simply put their faith and trust in him. That is fact. The effect being that now, because of that fact, there is nothing more important in all of the world. There is no more important message. Paul says in verse 3, look at the text, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Men and women, it is not a fairy tale. 2,000 years ago, in real time space history, the Son of God who created the heavens and the earth humbled himself and became a man. Again, conceived of the Holy Spirit of a Virgin Mary. He was born, he lived, he died, and he rose. And it is this message rooted in historical fact that literally turned the world upside down and it is why that we sit here today worshiping this king Jesus because when he rose from the dead he declared himself to not just be a man but to be the God man the son of God and fully man put on flesh added to his divinity humanity for the express purpose of being able to live a life of perfect obedience but also so that he could die 
as a perfect sinless sacrifice. And you've got to understand, like if our Christianity seems different than the Christianity that we read about in the Bible, if it just like seems like kind of a little side thing that we're just going to kind of add to our lives and where, you know, for them, like, like they gave their lives for it. Peter, as we'll talk about a little bit later, he, he was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Most of all of them were martyred for their faith. It's because they didn't just think that they were believing a fairy tale. They saw him dead. They saw him on the cross. They saw the crown of thorns on his head. They saw him put into the tomb. They saw the spear go into his side. And then three days later, he showed up in their midst. Kids, I know we're not having kids' church right now. Kids, listen to me. This isn't a fairy tale. We, we want to teach you in kids' church or in here, wherever you're at, like, like it, it's, not just, it's not just a mythical, just some sort of story. It's not an urban legend. It's real. And these men that are listed in this passage, this group of 500 and, and, and Peter and James and all these, like, we'll, we'll get to them in a little bit, but like, it, it changed their lives. Because they believed in this reality. They're like, well, Eric, yeah, man, I mean, I, I guess so. You know, they, they saw it. You know, they were like Thomas. Remember Thomas? He was, the first time Jesus shows up, he wasn't around. And he says, unless I see his hands and his feet and put my hand in his side where they pierced him, I will not believe. Jesus shows up and he goes, here you go. But then he says this. He says, because you've seen Thomas, you've believed. He says, blessed are those, blessed are those. Special favor from God the Father. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Peter, again, who's mentioned in this passage, I don't, just written down, let me just flip here quick. He says in his letter that he writes to the church, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How can we know that Jesus is real? Because he's done a miracle in your heart. If you're here this morning and you know him as Savior, then you love him. There's nobody that believes in him that does not love him. And if that love is in your heart, it's because the risen Christ did a miracle. And though you once hated him, you now, you now love him. But the primary thing that I want to talk with you about this morning, again, is, is the fact of the gospel, the historical fact that this really happened. But the primary effect, and there's several we'll talk about, but the biggest one that I want to talk about is that, guys, there is now no more important news in all the world. This, this takes priority. Again, verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance. What's most important in your life? What's of first importance in your life? Is it this message? Is it of first importance that you believe it, that you preach it to yourself every day? That you live by faith in this message and that you share this message with others? That because Jesus rose from the dead, he declared that he is not like anybody else and he has authority over 
all of the universe and all of mankind. Every person who has ever lived, know this, he claims lordship to your life. And he is lord of your life. The question is, do you bow the knee to him? Do you respond to it? He owns you. He holds your very breath in his hand. This is of first importance. And go back at verse 1 in chapter 15. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And if you're you're into circling or highlighting things in your Bible, I'm going to have some things that I would encourage you to circle and kind of highlight. The gospel, circle that word, that I preach to you. The gospel that I preach, the gospel that I preach. And again, just in the original language, in the Greek, they're, they're very similar words. One is the noun, one is the verb. So the gospel means good news. It's the Greek word, euangelion, euangelion. It's this, it's a, it's a good news message, euangelion. Then the word for preached is eugelizo, eugelizo. Euangelion and eugelizo, the noun the noun and the verb. I put these together because it was this good news message that was proclaimed. And to you, Galiza, it's you've heard me share this before, but I just want us to get down and just think about it for a second, okay? Is that an Evangelion, somebody that would come and proclaim this good news, the person. It was, it was always the, the idea originally of a runner, somebody that would see a battle take place that was maybe part of the army. And someone would win and someone would lose in these battles. I mean, it was fight to the death. There was a winner and there was a loser. And so he couldn't just fire it up on the internet or post it on Facebook or give a phone call, but he would have to run and bring the good news back to the people of whatever army. And that Evangelion, he would... would see the victory, his side one, and he would run back to the people. And here's what he would do. He would not debate it. He would not have a conversation about it. He would not have a discussion about it. He would not say, well, here, you know, I, I think they won, but you know, what do you think? He would declare what happened. Yes or no, win or lose, victory or defeat. This is the gospel message. Paul comes and he says, this has happened. Jesus Christ died for sins. His last breath that he breathed on the cross. It is finished. It is done. Sin has been dealt with. There is definitive victory. And it is this message that is to be of first importance. And brothers and sisters, especially those of you that call Mercy Hill home, as your pastor, I want to go around to every one of you and I want you to do it right back to me and to look me in the eye and to say, is this of first importance in your life? And if it's not, then you or I need to repent. We need to acknowledge that it's not. We need to acknowledge that there are other things that are more important to us, other messages. I was just talking to somebody this past week, and I, you guys probably heard me say this before, but I just, you know, I haven't said it in a while, though, so I'm going to rant a little bit. I, 
I've grown up in East Holmes County all my life. There are good qualities of the people here. You work hard. You provide for your family. You know, we're, we're good, tight little family units. You know, we, we, we mow our yards. We put fertilizer on them. They're nice and green. Woo, boy, are they green. So nice. We weed eat. We trim our edges. Everything, everything's nice and good and pretty. We teach our kids to work hard and to do the same so that they can grow up and have nice houses and nice cars and, clean, and have nice green yards with nice weed-eated edges so that they can teach their kids to grow up and to make a lot of money and to work hard so they can have nice cars and nice houses with nice green yards and, you know, weed-eat the edges. And th- that's not the most important thing. It's not the most important thing. But you'd think it was, wouldn't you? Can I get an amen from anybody? I'm not, I, okay, all right. Join me here. It, it's not the most important thing. Work hard. Make money, that, that's great. God's given you that ability. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem becomes when that becomes the most important thing, the Bible calls it idolatry. Idolatry is misplaced worship. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came 2,000 years ago in the land of Israel, a place that still exists in the world, an actual physical place, into time, space, history, and he lived and he died and he rose again and then ascended to the right hand of the Father and now lives forever to make intercession for us, that is the most important thing. Has it been the most important thing in your life this past week? Has it been the most important thing in your life this day? Because again, before we share it with others, let's just look at how Paul describes that we're to receive it for ourselves. Again, verses 1 and 2, he says, this gospel that I preached to you, which you, look at this, you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So his point here is that this, the, the life of faith is not just a one-time transaction that happens in the past and then nothing else changes. We, we make an initial transaction. We, we put our faith and trust in Jesus to then cross a start line, not a finish line, and live a life of faith. That we receive it. And so in the Bible, believe, what does it mean to believe? Okay, believe and receive, they kind of complement each other and they help um, kind of qualify each other and define each other. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, John says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here, Paul uses the word received at the beginning of verse 1. If you look at the end of verse 2, he, t- he uses the word believed. He says, unless you believed in vain. Let's look down at what, get into what the, 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 the nature of saving faith is that we Believe is it's not just acknowledging that something's true. In fact, let me say this, and this is this is you can fact check me on this or look up some people, but any secular historian worth their salt will acknowledge that Jesus Christ was a real man, that he really lived, that he really died, and then on the third day something happened. And that's where it makes a whole lot more sense to believe in the supernatural that God raised him from the dead than it does to not believe in him. Because there, some things that happen aren't, they, they never hold any water. Well, the disciples, 
you know, they overtook the guards and they robbed the tomb and then they just hit his body and nobody ever found him. And said, Dude, the, the soldiers that were guarding the tomb, I don't have time to go into all this, they were like the Navy SEALs. They were like the Green Berets. A bunch of fishermen and tax collectors did not overtake them. Well, Jesus, he wasn't really dead. And in fact, this is, this is probably the most popular theory throughout history. It's called the swoon theory. That Jesus didn't actually die, but he kind of swooned. He was, he was just kind of knocked out. Nails in his hands and his feet, crown of thorn on his head, spear into his side after he had been severely flogged. Many people would die just simply from the flogging. Laid in the tomb, stone rolled in front, soldiers guarding it. He wakes up and he just goes all ninja on him, rolls the stone away and, cha-cha-cha, you know, takes the soldiers down and go. I mean, that kind of happened. The angel showed up and the soldiers fell down, is dead. But it was like, and then he just went and hid himself and he died again later. The resurrection, the resurrection happened. Anyway, <laughs> but to believe it, to receive it, um, it's not just acknowledging that something is true or that Jesus Christ existed, like even secular historians would believe, but it's receiving it to where you love it. I believe, I believe, you don't have to convince me, I believe that broccoli is good for me. I do not receive it. I don't receive it. In Jesus' name, I don't receive it. I believe it. I don't receive it. Saving faith, the type of belief that the Bible calls us to, that, the, that God commands us, is a belief that receives, receives that, yes, I want this. I want to kneel to this king. He says, in which you stand. This is why the gospel, guys, it's not just the starting point. It, it's, it's the well. It's the spring that bubbles up. It's, it's where we stand. He says, you received it and in which you stand. Are you standing in the gospel this morning? Are you standing in the righteousness of Christ this morning? As we were singing, as we were worshiping, if you felt any affection at all in your heart, it's because you're standing in the gospel. You're standing in what Christ has done for you. Don't abandon it. Verse 2, and in which you are being saved. And, and his point here is that, like, it's not that, like, we're just going to be saved someday. We have been saved. We are being saved. And someday we will fully be saved. Um, and I don't mean to be confusing with that. But this is justification, sanctification, glorification. For those of you that call mercy at home, you've heard me go over this a thousand times. That when we believe, when we put our faith and trust in him, gavel comes down, we are justified. We are declared not righteous. Sanctification, that now we stand in the gospel. We stand in the righteousness of Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us, working in us and through us to help us live like Jesus lived. One day, these sinful bodies will be done away with. There will be no more temptation. We will get new bodies, which is what Paul's going to go on and talk about later on here. We're not really going to get into it this morning, but in the latter half of 1 Corinthians 15, that we will have new bodies that will be imperishable, that will live forever and we will be fully saved. And Satan, sin, and death, temptation will all be completely eradicated forever. We receive it. We stand in it. We continue to live in it. We hold fast, verse 2. If you hold fast, he says, unless you believed in vain. And what he means by believed in vain here is that you're not, what he's saying is there's no point. There's no point to just simply praying a prayer to get your get out of hell free card and then going on and living how you were 
point is to, yes, we can be saved from eternity in hell, putting our faith and trust in Jesus, but then we receive it. We stand in it. We hold fast to it. We start a race, and we run it, and we fight the good fight of faith. In fact, fact, if you believe this, if you're standing in it, then you have been saved. And grace is to now be central in your life. Let me give it, so verses 3 and 4, the second part of verse 3, again, let me read it again, just that, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Almost all scholars and commentators believe that this was part of an early creed or an early catechism. And a, a catechism or a creed or confession, uh, the, the church historically has put together the truth that Jesus taught. We have it, it there, it's not authoritative like the word is, but they have um, kind of put the truth of the word together to encapsulate and to crystallize it in a way that is easy to grasp the core, the foundational things of what we believe. And so throughout history, there have been these different confessions. There's the Apostles' Creed, which is one of the earliest um, ones, and then later on in the mid-1500s, you had the Heidelberg Catechism. Later on in the 1600s, you had um, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith and Westminster Catechism. All of them are, are, are very good, and they do just a good job of putting that together. And I, and I want to I read some of these for you, not, and hear me, not, not to sound um, fancy, but I'll tell you what, like, some people, like, back in the 15 and 1600s, like, in those times, man, our, our English just doesn't get there anymore. Like, we're just, you know, we just don't use the same language um, at times. And so I want to read you just a couple <coughs> of points from the uh, Heidelberg Catechism. First of all, verse 21, or I'm sorry, the 21st question um, in the Catechism. And again, these were always put forward in a question, and then they would be uh, responded to with a formal answer. But the 21st question of the Heidelberg Catechism says, what is true faith? Answer. True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture. It is also, also a wholehearted trust, which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are the gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. Okay? The first question so if you have true faith, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus alone, so I want to go back to the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is so beautiful. Question, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body, soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen? 
This is, again, not the same authority as Scripture, but it's good to look back at, you know, where we, where we come from as a people. That historically, we hold to those same things that Paul and the early church held to as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is our hope in life and in death. Very quickly as we close here, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but another effect that's rooted in the fact of the gospel is that if you believe in him, brothers and sisters, he will change your life. It's pretty simple. Amen. Let's pray. Um, but the, he, he, he will, I'll expound a little bit more. He, he will change your life. I was, I was behind on sermon prep this past week, and so I spent some time on Friday morning with Matt and Jonas, uh, the interns, uh, just bringing them into sermon prep. And I was just, I was so overwhelmed by this passage because, there, I mean, we could, you could just preach for weeks on this. And so I've, I've so struggled to try to just focus in on a couple things. But, but look briefly at the people in verses 5 through 10 that Jesus appeared to. So again, he didn't just rise from the dead. He rose and then he appeared to people, to witnesses, real people, just like you and I, that saw him die and then saw him alive. First of all, verse 5, then he appeared to Cephas. This is Peter, okay? Uh, Cephas is the Aramaic word. Peter is the, the, the Greek word the, or the name that Jesus gave him, originally called Simon. Um, that's a whole other sermon. Jesus will rename you when you come to him. He will give you a new identity. Um, doesn't care about your past. And, and Cephas here, I just, if you think about his life, and I, again, my point being that the effect of the gospel that's rooted in the fact of his death, burial, and resurrection, that God will change your life. Remember Peter's story? Like, guys, if you're here this morning and you feel like maybe even yesterday or maybe even this past week, you just messed up really, really bad, I got good news for you. You didn't mess up as bad as Peter. Peter was in Jesus' inner circle. There was the crowds, there was the 72, there was the 12, and then there was the three. Peter was one of the three. He was the leader of the apostles. Just a couple hours before Jesus was arrested, Peter looked Jesus right in the face, and he said, even if everybody else leaves you, Lord, I never will. Just several hours later, a little servant girl said, aren't you one of his disciples? And he said, I don't know him. She said it again. He goes, I don't know him. And she said, no, surely you're one of them. And he goes, and he says he said it with swearing. So I don't bleepin' know him. Man, like if you're here this morning and you feel like a failure, the resurrection, the sacrifice of Christ is enough for that. It's enough for that. He offers you forgiveness of your sin. You do not have to live 
in shame. In fact, you don't even have to just be a second-class citizen. Peter did that. He did what I just, what I just described. And so, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe Jesus will let me back into the family and I can, I can just kind of sneak into heaven. No, Peter, you're going to be the leader of the early church. I'm going to have you preach the first sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are going to get saved. I don't care what you've done. If you've believed in the facts of the resurrection, then the effect is, is that you are righteous in Christ. And your past and your failure does not have to define you. Amen? Does not define you. He appears then to 500, and I don't have time to go into this for six, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And again, this is, the reason this is important, I'll just touch on it quickly, is that like, so, another theory that people have is like, well, people just hallucinated and saw that they saw Jesus. Okay, well, every now and then, some people might have hallucinations, but 500 people in mass, there's no such thing as like a mass hallucination. And I suppose, I don't know. There might be a drug for that somewhere, I'm not sure, but um, it's not, like, that's not, it's not true. Like, you don't, you don't hallucinate in mass. Appears to 500 people who all saw him. Verse 7, then he appeared to James. Now this is interesting, and again, I, I could spend a whole message on this, but he appeared to James. This is not James and John. So there were, there were several Jameses in the Bible. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were part of the 12. You know which James this is? This is James, Jesus' half-brother. He becomes one of the primary leaders in the early church. John chapter 7 tells us very clearly that all of Jesus' brothers and sisters, when he was alive here on this earth before his death, they did not believe in him. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was nuts, declaring to be the Messiah. But not after the resurrection. Jesus appears to him, and he makes him a leader despite his doubt. Jesus is big enough, the resurrection is strong enough to overcome your doubt. You might have doubts, you're not sure about how it's all going to work out, you're not sure if God's really good, like you think he's kind of good, but you know there's a lot of bad stuff in the world, and why does he allow this to happen? Jesus is not afraid of your doubt. The resurrected Christ is Lord over everything, including your doubt. And if you come to him, he will put it under your feet, under his feet, sorry. Under his feet. And again, you've heard me say this before, but like again, just witnesses to the reality of the resurrection. I, I've got four boys. There is no way in heaven or on earth that any one of them is going to call the other one Lord and Savior unless it's true. And it was true. James, Jesus' brother, declared him to be Lord. And finally, worship team, you can come up and we'll wrap up here. Verse 8, 9, 10. I, want you to point, I just want to point out here Paul. Another one that he appears to. Verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 8. Last of all, he appeared to me as to one untimely born. As to one untimely born. You know the story of Paul. That he was a persecutor of the church. He was against Jesus and against all that his people stood for and believed and had experienced. He thought that he could tear down the church that the resurrected Christ was going to build, but he couldn't. 
And as he was on his way, literally to the town called Damascus, to arrest more Christians, to persecute the church of God, which he had promised to build, Jesus met him and changed him. Again, no matter what you've done, the resurrection, Christ's sacrifice is enough. No matter what doubts you have, it's enough. And no matter what hatred or bitterness you might have in your heart, the resurrected Christ is strong enough to destroy it and to replace it with love. I have a hard time, again, we don't have time to go into it, but understanding the hatred and the bitterness that must be in your heart to be like Saul with many others who picked up stones and pelted Stephen with him with them until he died and to think that you were doing God a favor I'll tell you what when it comes to bitterness and hatred um, religious bitterness and hatred is second to none <laughs> there's a lot of types of bitterness and hatred in the world but religious bitterness and hatred is probably the worst And that's where Saul, later called Paul, lived. That's what was in his heart. But the risen Christ met him. Met him. And he took that hatred, he took that bitterness, and he replaced it with love to the place where Paul then gave the rest of his life to serving the church that he had formerly tried to destroy. There is nothing that is too difficult for the resurrected Christ. Absolutely nothing. And guys, if you believe in him, if you receive him, if you stand in this gospel, if you you stand in these facts of the gospel, then the effect should be that our lives will be changed and that grace is now the center of absolutely everything. Look at verse 10. Paul says this, he sums it up. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church. I, you know, I wasn't one of the original 12. I didn't walk with him, but, but Jesus changed me. And here's how he sums this up. And the resurrected Christ will change the way that you talk. Because, man, nobody, nobody, nobody talks like Paul talks. But he met the resurrected Christ. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Grace never fails. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God that is with me. Grace, grace, grace. Three times in that one verse. Would you guys just bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Just a couple questions as we close this morning. Number one, are you saved? Have you surrendered? Have you believed? Have you received? Are you willing to stand in for the rest of your life the salvation that was purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross? If you're not, then there's only one thing that God requires of you to respond, and that is to put your faith and trust in Him. Trust Him right now where you sit. You don't need me to lead you in a prayer. You don't need me to say words that you just repeat. You tell him right now in your heart that you'd like to believe in him. 
that you want to give him your life. Secondly, brother and sister, please examine your heart right now. What is of first importance in your life? God doesn't call everybody to go to Africa or to go to cross the world. Some of you, he does. And we want to help send you and support you. But no matter where you're at, what you're doing, where you're working, where you're living, what your hobbies are, the gospel is to be of first importance. That the gospel came to you because it was also wanting to get to somewhere else through you, through your life. If it's not of first importance this morning, would you please just confess that to Jesus as we sing and ask him to help you make it of first importance in your life? And lastly, are you standing? Christian, are you standing in the grace of God? Are you letting something from your past, whether it was complete failure and a lack of allegiance like Peter, whether it's your doubt, or whether it's hatred like Paul. Are you letting something hinder you from standing in the grace of God? You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to. Come to him again this morning and trust him. And ask him to take those things from your life. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you to, for your word. Thank you that we get to sing. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that you are not a fairy tale. Thank you that you are risen. Thank you that you, with your resurrected body, are in the presence of God at the Father's right hand right now. And you have sent your Holy Spirit here among us to do work in our hearts and to change us. I pray that as we sing this last song, Lord, that we would worship you as if you are risen, because you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand with me.